Hello, this is retired Army First Sergeant Mark Flowers, and I would like to welcome you to Episode 2 of the Fixed Bayonets podcast, Military History You Didn't Learn in School. I've always loved military history. In the early part of my military career, I was a Navy hospital corpsman serving with Fleet Marine Force Infantry Units. In 1982, I was in Gulf Company, 2nd Battalion, 9th Marines in Okinawa. We were preparing for a shipboard deployment, and I went to the library to check out a book that uh, I could read while we were uh, afloat and not really doing much. And so I found this book called Strongmen Armed, the U.S. Marines versus Japan by Robert Leckie. You may recall that Robert Leckie was one of the key characters in the HBO miniseries The Pacific that came out in 2010. He wrote a book, and I believe it was his first book, called Helmet for My Pillow, which has become one of the classic personal memoirs of the World War II era. Mr. Leckie was a Marine Corps infantryman on Guadalcanal, New Britain, and in Peleliu, and then subsequently he wrote this really powerful story, and then he went on to write other books about World War II, including Strongmen Armed. Each day, as we sailed from Okinawa to Korea and then onward to the Philippines, I would find a comfortable space somewhere on deck and get lost in this incredible story of courage and sacrifice, tactics and technology in this titanic struggle that... uh, the Marines fought across the length and breadth of the Pacific between 1941 and 45. And so I got bitten by a new bug, and that was this story. And because I was a hospital corpsman with a Marine Corps infantry unit, it made it more real for me, and it made it more compelling. And so this has sparked an interest in that part of military history that has endured for nearly 40 years. When I retired from the service in 2001, I began to think of ways that I could deepen my knowledge about the history of the Marine Corps and the Pacific War, and so I decided to start a website where I could research and then share what I had learned with the public. My old website was called World War II Gyrene, and I had it from about 2002 to around 2015. I stopped working on the website, and I didn't publish to the web for almost five years, but my work can still be found in the Wayback Machine, which is the place where old websites go to be archived, and so you can still find my work there. I wrote about weapons and campaigns, and I collected photographs into curated albums, I helped family members and wartime Marines to tell their stories in different ways. And then I tried to provide analysis to help give depth and context to these stories that I was collecting. One of the ways that I sort of experimented with to help tell stories in a new way was by actually writing short stories based on my research to illustrate facets of the Marine Corps experience in World War II that you don't typically find in history books. 
And so today I would like to share with you one of the short stories that I wrote to help people to sort of get a broader picture of what it meant to be a Marine in World War II. And this story is from about 2003, and I called it Buddies. And so it tells the story of some Marines on a landing ship that are heading from their base camp on one island to an invasion on another. The LST rolled on the easy ocean swells, making a steady 12 knots. Around us, ships in our convoy stretched in every direction, plowing westward in loose formation. Our ships and aircraft guns were manned by sailors, some alert and scanning the skies with binoculars, others dozing in the sun. Marines were scattered all over the topside decks. Most of us, the ones who knew what was good for them, were busy squaring away their weapons and gear. Some guys were sharpening knives and bayonets with files they'd come shod from sailors. Other guys, the not-so-smart, were loafing around the rail, watching dolphins playing in the water. The sun shone brightly, and a brisk wind blew through the ship's riggings and across the decks. It felt clean and fresh, like back home in late spring a long time ago. High up, a few wispy clouds trailed across the sky. All things considered, it was almost a perfect day. You might have wished every day could be like this one, except for where we were, heading for another campaign. Some of us old-timers, Gizmo and me, sat together in a choice spot on some life rafts with our weapons field stripped. We never had to pull rank on the new guys for our spot. They just knew not to sit there, and we never would have told them to get if they had. One time, some kid over in 3rd Platoon just sat down with us like we were all in the slop shoot at Quantico. We all just clammed up on him. It didn't take him long to get the message. He just sort of shrugged his shoulders and moved on out to another spot. It wasn't that we treated the kids bad. There were just so darn many of them, and it was too hard to get really buddy-buddy with them. All it did was hurt anyway. We taught them what they needed to know to try and stay alive. We took care of them and hoped they'd live long enough for it all to make sense. But there were no guarantees. Not for them. Not for any of us. Gizmo interrupted our comfortable silence. Man, wouldn't a cool beer be great right about now? I laughed. Sure, a half dozen or so would hit the spot. Nothing like a cold schlitz on a warm day. Hey, pass some cleaning patches, huh? Gizmo tossed some over to me, and I thanked him. I soaked a patch in bore cleaner and started wiping my rifle down, just like I'd done a million times before. The steel was smooth and warm to my touch. I would have never said it to anybody, but I sort of liked the smell of wood and steel and oil. It was familiar. Plus, you could dope off for a long time working on your rifle, so long as you just looked busy. I dug an old toothbrush out of my pocket and poured a little bore cleaner on it. Carefully, I began brushing all the little nooks and crannies in my receiver. My rifle was clean, but it was just too nice a day to hurry up. 
There wasn't really anything else to do anyway. We were too far out to know where we were heading, even though Scuttlebutt had already pegged all the popular invasion spots. Wake Island was always in the running. Everybody in the Corps wanted to liberate Wake. Suddenly, somebody called out from the stern, Hey, here comes the gunny. We started looking a lot busier. I broke out an old skivvy shirt and started wiping my rifle down for all I was worth. Today, it was our platoon's turn to haul frozen boxes of chow and potatoes from cold storage up to the mess decks. Dragging 100-pound sacks of spuds up six decks was not my idea of fun. Gunny Burns picked guys for working parties he thought were skylarking too much. That was our theory, anyway. He was always saying stuff like, If you Marines ain't gainfully employed, I got something for you to do. Usually, that meant something that would get you sweaty and keep you like that for a long time. Coming into effective range, the gunny bellowed, Morning, men. He had that I-need-a-working-party look written all over his face. Morning, gunny, we replied in unison. He looked right at me. You get your weapon good and clean, men? We sure are, gunny, I replied. Now, I can't be 100% sure, but I could have sworn the gunny winked at me right about then, like he knew our little secret. A ways further down the deck, he found his prey. A couple of new guys who were taking a nap in the shade. The gunny yelled them awake and sent them moving out at high port to way down deep in the ship. Well, they weren't going to be getting any nap time for the rest of the day. Gizmo and I just shook our heads and smiled at how the Marine Corps worked. After the coast was clear, we settled back down to our pre-gunny speed on the weapons. Pretty soon, Gizmo and I started guessing what they were going to serve for lunch. Probably horse cock sandwiches and bug juice again. You could count on that for lunch at least four days a week. After a while, Nick showed up from somewhere with his BAR. Hey, shipmates, what's going on, he asked. Mind if I join you heroes? Sure, I replied. Pull up a rock. Gizmo piped in. There went property values in this neighborhood. Ah, Semper Fi, Nick said jauntily. He settled down to the warm deck and began to field strip his weapon with practice ease. Nick was a good guy and one of the best BAR men in the company. I took a break from wiping my rifle and watched him work. He removed the trigger group and carefully released the tension from the operating rod guide. Then, he slowly removed the guide and spring from the receiver. I said, Boy, it would suck if you let go of that spring and launched the guide somewhere. Yeah, like in your eye, Mac, Nick replied. We all remembered the guy in second squad who was cleaning his BAR with oily fingers one time. His thumb slipped off the guide and it came flying out. It thumped him right between the eyes. You could see the checkering from the base of the guide dented into the bridge of his nose. He was lucky not to lose an eye. But then again, maybe he wasn't so lucky. Because a few months later, he got killed by a burst of machine gun fire before he even got out of the water on our next operation. So we were all just sitting there in the sun, the three of us cleaning our weapons. Gizmo started rubbing his rifle down pretty hard, like he was getting it ready for a Saturday inspection back stateside. Nick and I decided to have a little fun. He said, Hey Giz, you better get busy. Here comes the gunny. Gizmo just smiled, but he kept rubbing. I frowned at our buddy. Watch it there. You're going to wipe the finish off if you keep rubbing that thing like that. 
together, Nick and I deadpanned, and that would be destruction of government property. It was one of Gunny Burns' favorite expressions. Gizmo said, I want to finish this and head down to the birthing compartment. I got a letter to write. Are you crazy, I asked. It must be 120 degrees down there. Anyway, how are you going to send it? There ain't any mail coming or going. Nick chimed in. Yeah, buddy. And them Amtrackers are running their engines down on the tank deck right now. The whole place down there stinks from the gas fumes. I'm not mailing it, Gizmo replied quietly. I'm going to put it in the company safe. Suddenly, things got serious. Oh, you mean one of them letters, huh? I asked. Gizmo didn't say anything, but he nodded his head a little bit. I knew how he felt, and so did Nick. There were only a handful of us left from our days back stateside. That was two years, three campaigns, and a lifetime ago. I said, look, buddy, we all felt that way before. It'll pass, but you got to stop thinking about it. He looked at me and a ghost smile passed across his face. You remember Bacigalupi, don't you? I thought for a second. Then I remembered. Yeah, sure, old alphabet. He used to light the newspapers behind the supply tent back at New River right before Reveille. Nick finished the memory. Yeah. And when it started to get smoky, he'd yell fire and watch the headquarters guys run screaming out of the tent. He was a funny guy. Gizmo said real quiet. He was the first guy we lost in the company. We were boot camp buddies. Nick and I stopped working on our weapons and watched our buddy. I pulled out my lucky strikes and lit one. Then I threw the pack over to Giz and told him to help himself. He lit a cigarette and took a few puffs. Then he stared at the glowing cherry on the end. It seemed like he was a long ways away right then. Nick asked him, what he was thinking about. You know, just wondering what's going to happen to us. I don't expect you guys to pump any sunshine up my butt or anything. I'll be okay. Nick shook his head. You can't be thinking about guys who've been dead for almost two years, buddy. Alphabet, all of them. They were good guys, but they're dead and we're not. I know it sucks, but that's how it is. I smiled. Hey, I heard something yesterday. Scuttlebutt says after this next campaign, they're going to start rotating guys back home who've been out here since the canal. That's what I'm hoping for. A ticket back home. Just then, the ship's loudspeaker came to life. Now hear this. Now hear this. Chow down for embarked troops on the mess deck. All embarked troops, way to the mess deck for chow. We put our weapons back together and stowed our cleaning gear. Without a word, the three of us got up and left to go stand in another line. The end. I would like to thank you for listening to this fictional short story that I wrote to illustrate one facet of the experiences that young Americans lived through in World War II. I hope you'll tune in for my next episode, where I'll be taking a look back at the beginning of Operation Desert Shield more than 30 years ago. You can visit me on the web at fixbayonets.us, and you can also find me on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Fix Bayonets, the podcast, Military 
history you didn't learn in school. And until the next time, this is retired First Sergeant Mark Flowers signing off.